Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Pepp. Earth observation is one of the fastest growing sectors of the emerging space economy, but the time and manpower needed to analyze all of the data can be a drain on company resources. My guest on this edition of the Xterra Podcast is Don Osborne, CEO of Earth Daily Analytics, which is working to streamline that process. Don, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, Tom, it's uh, great to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Happy to do so. Let's talk first about your background just a little bit. How did you get uh, interested in this field? Uh, I can say that I've been in the uh, in the space business now for 40 years. It's actually my 40th anniversary in this business. Uh, started with a company called Spar Aerospace, which was Canada's preeminent uh, satellite and uh, space company back in the 80s, uh, most famous for the Canada Arm, originally flying off the shuttle and subsequently off the space station and kind of been doing various things in the industry, everything from hardware manufacturing, robotics and communication satellites and earth observations through to services and VSAT services and terminals as well. So I've kind of covered the spectrum, so to speak, and uh, now focused on earth observation. So that's becoming a, a really crowded space, Earth Observation. Tell us a little bit, Don, about your company and how Earth Daily sets itself apart. Uh, so you make a very valid point. Uh, you know, I think we've seen, uh, and I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago where we talked a little bit about new space and uh, this advent of new spaces uh, allowed a proliferation of new companies to come into the arena. And uh, with that, as you point out, there's lots of competition. Um, we see new space has been primarily driven to produce what I would call uh, new satellites, which are uh, some folks that have got together and figured out how to develop a, um, a satellite uh, better, faster, smarter, shorter schedule and ultimately lower risk. And this has drawn in a lot of uh, outside money, private equity money into the funding and the development of those companies uh, and ultimately those services. Uh, having said that, uh, we think that a lot of the segment of the industry, particularly in Earth observation, is focused on the satellite technology and not on the end-to-end -end technology or the processing side. And we see the differentiation uh, is really putting together what we call new ground with new space to have a new system architecture. And this allows you to produce a quality of data, which is analysis ready or analytics ready um, to really uh, process with machine learning and AI to produce the insights that are required um, by the end user community. So again, our focus is really uh, on the end to end system and producing quality data. And I can go more into that um, as we speak, um, which we see is quite different than a lot of the players in the industry today. So what challenges then have you had to overcome as a new company breaking into what is a crowded uh, crowded arena? Well, I'd start with the obvious one, which is raising money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we made a decision to uh, not deploy sequentially. In other words, not to do a Pathfinder satellite and then develop a, a, you know another couple of satellites and deploy over time. We believe our value proposition is to be able to cover the Earth's surface everywhere every day. And uh, with that, we really need to deploy almost everything together. So we have everything going up in one or two launches in, in early 24. Um, and because of that, we had to raise all the money required to do that in one fell swoop. So it's a sizable price tag. Uh, and obviously, it's always a little harder to sell um, the full Monty than it is sort of incremental deployment. But that's been one of the challenges we faced as we've taken this to, to market. 
And you just mentioned that you're going to be launching this proprietary constellation of satellites. Why would you need to do that as opposed to use satellites that are already in orbit? One of the other major issues we're all facing in space is, is that space is actually getting crowded. So why yeah. put more satellites up there? That's a great question. And when we sort of started down this uh, road, we looked at the requirements from a, an end user perspective. And particularly, we focused on the agricultural industry where we're vertically integrated as a company. We provide analytics to the ag industry. And uh, what we determined was we could not aggregate or put together the sources of satellite data that were required to image uh, crops around the world uh, on an ongoing basis, i.e. everywhere, every day, uh, in an economic way. Um, we would have to assimilate too many or aggregate too many disparate uh, data sources, which were either too expensive or we really couldn't figure out how to put them together because they were too different in their own nature. So uh, we ultimately decided that we would develop a satellite system to, to service that segment of the market. And we believe that this addresses a lot of uh, global change challenges that the world's facing today in other areas, such as climate change and other environmental issues. So um, it wasn't, it was kind of a means to an end. We really started from the market and worked our way backwards into what was required. Uh, versus, you know, a bunch of smart um, uh, folks that got in a room and decided that they could build a satellite a little bit smarter and faster. Is there something technologically unique about the constellation you have planned? Uh, yes. Uh, so what we're doing is uh, we, we sort of have four tenants, if you will, of the of the satellite constellation. Uh, and the cornerstone of everything is scientific quality, as you know, and if you're using I don't know if you've experimented with ChatGPT. I had it write a speech for me on the weekend. This is why I'm, I'm throwing that out there. Um, you know, it really depends on how much you put into it in order to, in terms of the quality that comes out. If you don't put much in, or if you put poor, poor quality in, you, you get a lousy speech. In my case, <laughs> if you put more specifics in, what comes out is kind of pretty good. Uh, and we kind of view the same thing here. So, scientific quality. If you have a grade of data which is a high quality, when I say high quality, if you translate that into Earth observation, it's really around the pixel. So it's the pixel size is consistent from image to image. It's pixel um, uh, geolocation on the Earth from picture to picture, if you will, image to image, which is consistent. And the coloring, because we're talking about spectrum now, is consistent. So if you can get those things to be a high grade of quality when it's read by machine learning or AI, then you can derive an insight. If the quality of the pixels is poor, then everything comes through as false positives and you have to put people in the room to you know, look at that and decide what makes sense or what doesn't make sense. So the cornerstone of our system is really around scientific quality, uh, which allows machine learning. Then you move into quantity. And I guess what we believe is uh, we wanna be able to hoover up all the data everywhere, every day. We don't wanna task a system. We don't wanna tell it where to look because it probably means if we're telling it where to look, it means we're not looking somewhere else. So we're looking at the entire Earth's surface everywhere, every day. And we developed a satellite architecture, which we think is very economic to do that while maintaining that first tenant, which is high quality. Uh, and to do all of that, we've come up with a hands-free, no-touch labor processing system, which does the calibration, the cross-calibration with other systems and our own system. Uh, it does uh, quality control and it does the image processing and produces us all without people in the loop. Because if you're looking at imagery across an entire 
world, you can't again have people in the process to, to process that data. It doesn't work, the economics fail. So we believe we've done some very unique things, but again, it's more at the mission level. It's across the entire elements of both satellite and ground and not so much focus on one or the other. And we think that's unique in the marketplace. When you think about potential investors, and you mentioned, you know, one of your first challenges was raising money. You're looking at a constellation that has a projected 10-year lifespan. And technology, however, changes very, very quickly, uh, which we've learned with things like ChatGPT. Who would have thought of that last year? So how do you plan to keep up with all these changes in technology and keep keep your satellite constellation viable? So I guess we view this as a, as a double-edged sword. If you're constantly changing what you're deploying on the satellite, it means you're inter- interjecting change into the actual images that are produced. And then you're back to problem number one, which is if the quality is different between satellites or the calibration isn't, isn't uh, up to par, then you end up with changes which are effectively false positive. So we believe stability of those images in space over the 10 years is fundamental to our mission and to uh, analyzing and logging long-term de- uh, uh, global change. Um, having said that, we recognize that there may be other Uh, spectral elements. Uh, There are other things that we can supplement this data with, and we will continue to look how we fly that capability or integrate it into our business. Some of what we're looking at today are data sources which are not actually satellite-based. And the holy grail for Earth observation is really contextualizing multiple sources of data and driving insights which you couldn't otherwise derive from a single source. Um, And again, that doesn't necessarily pertain to satellite sources. So to answer your question, do we fly more sensors to supplement what we've got eventually? Yes. Do we see ourselves replacing the sensors that are up there? No. It's more about uh, augmenting or supplementing them with more. Is there a way to, as we might do here on Earth, update the firmware to keep up to date with some technological changes? We have uh, the capability to upgrade certain elements on board the satellite, yes, and we have certainly the element, the ability to upgrade our, our ground processing capability as well, yes. So let's talk a little bit about the Earth pipeline. What is it? Why is it important? So really, this is that ground segment processing portion. Yeah, we have uh, 22 spectral bands of information which are coming off the satellites, and again, where I call it hoovering up. Uh, we use a push broom sensor. So we're, we're covering the entire Earth's surface everywhere every day. So as you can imagine, it's just a huge amount of data. And to be able to handle that in a cost-effective way, uh, the first thing we've done is we've gone fully cloud native. Now, you know, everybody talks about the cloud today as a way to save money. Um, but we were quite early in the cloud with processing through a previous initiative. And we found that it's easy to go broke using processing in the cloud. So it's about how you turn on processors, you know, ramp them up, turn them off, how you move data from hot to cold or ultimately to cold storage, how you do that effectively and cost effectively. So we've spent a lot of time working with our partner AWS um, to develop some of the processing tools and some of the storage tools, which allow to to handle this amount of data in a very cost effective way. Uh, Sounds simple, but in reality, we've spent to date uh, somewhere to the tune of $30 million US doing that, and we will continue to uh, spend through till the time that the system is launched. So we think we have a a ground processing system, which is unequaled in the industry. I'm talking with Don Osborne, CEO of Earth Daily Analytics on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now to click subscribe to be sure you don't miss any of our podcasts 
or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Let's pivot just a little bit, Don, and talk about your thoughts on the new space economy in general. What are some of the key factors driving the new space economy? I think it's a little bit what I said before. Um, you know, if, uh, well, let me start with one of the big changes in the industry is access to launch, uh, a cost-effective launch. And, you know, if you go back to my 40-year career, you go back to when I started putting a satellite in a rocket, often the rocket was a dedicated launch and it costs, you know, probably 50%. And I'm talking about a geocommunication satellite here. The satellite might have cost 200 to $250 million. And the launch was probably costing between 100 to $150 million, depending on where you were going and how you were being dropped off. So, you know, if you're putting a satellite in a $150 million launch, you want to make sure it works. Um, so the amount of testing uh, and technology employed in the satellite was extensive. Uh, the actual use of components uh, was uh, very different than what we were using on terrestrial systems at the time. We weren't using commercial off-the-shelf parts, only in limited cases. So bottom line is everything was expensive. Uh, and because it was expensive, it probably necessitated some intervention from, uh, call it institutional or national interest. So a lot of the space industry in its early days was driven by co government customers. Uh, who would basically backstop or underwrite the the, uh, the cost of the deployment of the system. It changed a lot when we got into uh, broadcast. So there you start to see commercial satellites being driven by, you know, cable companies and ultimately direct to home that were underwriting the cost of that through their advanced payments or, or their, their payments of their capacity that they were buying to fulfill their business needs. Um, I think we had this sort of inflection point where you've got the components on the satellite uh, became much more effective and efficient. You could use commercial off-the-shelf parts. So you started to get this idea that we could develop uh, satellites, which were a lot cheaper. But still, if you're putting cheap satellites on an expensive launch, it's still problematic. Along comes SpaceX, uh, shared launch uh, capabilities, where suddenly a launch becomes dramatically cheaper for a small satellite than it was before. So these two things kind of came together, uh, where you can now build a satellite for less, which will perform. Thermal efficiencies and other things have now progressed to the point that you know, the, the electronics become smaller, again, leading to a capability of building a smaller satellite. Put that on a cheaper launch vehicle, and ta-da, you can get up into space for a fraction of what you used to do historically. Uh, so, of course, you've got people with great business ideas. I just need cheap satellites. I just need to deploy them. I can develop a service. And off they go. And this attracts, uh, you know, commercial money. And I think you've seen uh, companies like uh, particularly in the comm space, Iridium and, and um, OneWeb and others, which are being very successful at developing a commercial service and communications. Um, and using a lot of these uh, attributes, which is a smaller, better, smarter satellite with a cheaper launch. I think in Earth observation, um, the same thing has happened. But again, I think a big chunk of the players that have entered the sector have missed the fact that you really need this ground processing capability to bring out the quality of the data. Um, so I think in that case, uh, there's been a bit of a miss, uh, miss hit, if you will, or foul ball, um, to use a baseball analogy. But um, it's certainly drawn in um, private equity or, or uh, private funding, which is very different than where the industry started. So it's really ballooned. Uh, it's exciting. It's great. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's 
not going to stop. I think you'll continue to see this as new applications come on. But you have to be careful. I think satellites are good at doing some things, and they're pretty lousy at doing other things. Um, so I think the focus is really finding it where where satellites really differentiate themselves in the service they can provide. So then what are some of the barriers to entry that still remain? Uh, you know, I think uh, like anything, when you have lots of players out there that are being successful or, or managing to raise money, that brings more money in. But at the same time, uh, we've had some failures in the market. Um, and, you know, you can look at things like OneWeb and Iridium. They've kind of had to go at it a couple of times before they've been successful. Uh, so we've had some base plants in the industry um, and Earth observation. There's a fair amount of satellites that are up there, which are you know not being utilized today because they didn't fulfill their business uh, uh, business plans. So um, yeah, I think barriers to entry, the barriers to entry are actually getting lower and lower. The barriers to success are probably pretty much as they were before. You mentioned um, the fact that there are that some things don't work. How important is it? How important is failure to success in in the new space industry? I mean, Elon Musk has a business model that says, "I'm going to shoot off a rocket; it'll blow up. I'll learn things. I'll shoot off another one; it'll blow up. Eventually, they don't blow up." How important is the failure to success? That's a great question. I'm not sure I can honestly answer it. I think uh, it probably depends on the size of business. Um, you know, I would say Elon Musk is is got the deep pockets and the grand vision where he realizes that failure is probably going to happen somewhere along the way, and he's effectively costed for that in his mission. I think if you're a smaller company and your plan is to fly, you know, a half dozen satellites to provide a service, and the rocket blows up, or or they don't function, um, you know, is that death for the company? Probably. So, uh, you know, some things and can be are survivable and other things aren't. And I guess it depends on who and what you are. Uh, you know, he Elon has a grand vision. He wants to go to Mars. I think he understands that that's a that is truly a grand vision. Uh, I'm hoping he's successful. Um, and I think he probably expects some failures along the way. I don't expect failure in my business. So <laughs> almost none of us does. But um, but it does seem like it does seem like that it's a risky thing to put your very expensive satellite or satellites on top of a rocket, cross your fingers and hope. I, I think you're right. And, you know, I think we all forget it, it you know, and, and, you know, kudos to, to SpaceX again and, and some of the other systems that are out there, particularly the the, um, the ones that make the news. Um, we're starting to make space access or access to space or satellite technology look boring and mundane and simple and easy. It's anything but. There, It's tricky. Uh, there's some devils in the details. Not everything works when you fly it in space as it does on the ground, as we all know. Um, so I think there's still be lots of uh, failures going forward, but I think people are learning to push the bounds and it's helping us all being successful ultimately to learn from the failures. Don, on your website, you say you're, quote, not only changing how people view the Earth, but also how people access and gain insight from that data. What do you mean by that? I think the, uh, you know, today, if you talk to uh, a company that provides insights uh, as an IE and an analytics company, and I can say, you know, we do the same because we have an ag uh, analytics company, um, you spend a long time 
playing with the data. So you get sources of data or even a source of data and you have to normalize it. You have to correct for cloud. You have to do some things which cost a fair amount of money before you can actually overlay the algorithm to derive the insight. And our view is this really needs to be made ready for the customer that they shouldn't have to have people who understand how to manipulate or clean or uh, normalize satellite data. We should be able to give them a data source which has already had that done to it. And ideally we'd give them you know, multiple data sources that they need that can all be overlapped, if you will, or overlaid um, to provide the insight. So we have spent a lot of money making sure that that's the case in the case of our data. We're actually working with some other satellite providers to do the same for them now with their data. We view this as really making our data much more accessible um, and uh, more readily available to the people that are doing the analytics. I think we've, you know, one of the problems in the earth observation industry is the people that are providing the analytic, which is really the, the insight and the algorithm, um, you know, the expertise around how to take that data and provide that insight are being driven to becoming, you know, platform providers or uh, other elements of this infrastructure, which are costly and can't necessarily be passed on to the end customer. And as an analytics company, it becomes very difficult to make money. So our view is to do this for the analytics company, let them focus on what they do best, which is providing that algorithm or that capability, which is, requires those scientists or whatever, that scientific understanding of what they're looking at to derive the, uh, the insight and less on, on playing with data. You know, when you mentioned ChatGPT a, a few moments ago, it, it occurs to me when you're talking about using essentially machine learning to do the uh, the analysis of the data, does it concern you that somebody, that, that that still all depends on whoever's writing the algorithm, how the data is interpreted and used? Yeah, I mean, I guess my business today is kind of two things. One is I'm providing the data to the people who provide the, the algorithm. And then and I presume that they have managed to sell that insight and the quality of that insight to their customer. Uh, and that's their business. And if and we're in the ag insight business, and it's the same thing for us. I mean, we produce ag insights, which are of value to our customers. And if we're not differentiated at the insight level or the quality of the insights is poor, then we won't have customers. Um, so I guess we view our, uh, you know, our, our job, if I can say that in the industry today is to at least start by making sure that the data is right. As to the quality of the algorithm or that insight, I guess that depends on who we're selling to and ultimately what value they're creating for their customers. And you should have to ask them that question rather than me. I can answer it in ag, which I think we're differentiated in, but in other segments, I'd have to defer to them to answer the question. You're focused on agriculture. Are there plans for expansion into other areas that you would that would find what it is that you're offering helpful? There are. There, uh, you know, we're debating. You know, it is a very fragmented world out there, full of Earth observation value-added players. Um, our job, or our, our vision, is not to become analytics for all. Um, we are going to move into other segments. There are some things that our satellite system does very well. If you're looking for broad area change then uh, we think we can contribute to the solution. And the question is where we go vertically. Uh, we are playing now in uh, some areas of ESG, particularly nature-based carbon credits, where we can do uh, monitoring, reporting, and verification of large swaths of land and how it's being handled, which helps to validate 
uh, and secure the carbon credit associated with that project. So that's an area where we're going to go more vertical, uh, also in forestry and some of the areas like that. So climate change is another one. We're working with a company and developing our own expertise, overlaying climate data and some other. You know, we've, we're starting to view ourselves as a risk management tool. Um, so when you know, what other sources of data and how can we play uh, together to provide some of those services? Uh, and you know, when things in the defense department, we don't see ourselves as a, uh, a system which is really you know, targeting defense per se, but we do have some capability for global change detection and things like maritime domain awareness where we can help as we do cover uh, coastal waters and we have some uh, blue ocean capability, blue ocean capacity as well. So, But your satellites are primarily focused on land mass and not over the ocean. That is correct. I mean, we pick up the shorelines because obviously it's not a hard cut. <laughs> so that, so, hey, I live at the beach. I know all about that. Yeah. yeah. So we, we do go out so many nautical miles. Um, and then we do have some other capacity, which we can move around over blue ocean, but we don't, we're not focused on blue ocean coverage. There's not enough going out, out there, going on out there, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective. So. Well, Don, we're just about out of time, but I want you to, and we ask this question of all of our guests, and that's to look out over the next 10 to 15 years, and tell me what you see coming along in space commerce. That's a great question. I think you're going to see in the short term, probably some consolidation in the industry. Uh, I think you'll see some things uh, where some of the players are coming together. Uh, you know, national interests have often driven um, national uh, capacity. And I think with the private money coming in, you're going to see less national emphasis on maintaining capability or a willingness to uh, source capabilities offshore in some cases. So I think you'll see uh, more private money, which means uh, more private companies or publicly traded companies, but uh, ultimately they will have to be of size and grandeur where they can survive and also supply that capability back to those national interests. So I think you see a migration of the types of companies um, and maybe their holding will be a little bit different. Um, I think there are in some segments too many little guys and I think you'll see some coal, you know, some, some bringing together of those companies. Uh, that's probably more of a short-term view in the next few years. Um, Longer term, I think you're going to continue to see the technology that's deployed on Earth being deployed in space. Um, I think people are understanding better now how to overcome some of the limitations we had historically with components and, and electronics in space. And the more you can move it in space, uh, and to your point, the technology on the ground is moving faster. So I think you'll see more of a rapid evolution of that and what's being flown. And there's some systems out there today which are looking at some pretty innovative things, which again, I think are quite complementary to what we're doing. So I think you're gonna see uh, you know, an evolution in these space. We do think there's gonna be an evolution of the ground as well, because we think people will start to focus on the end system, not just on the satellite. And that's probably a little bit more specific in, in Earth observation than communications. Although you know, the big struggle in comms was always getting a ground terminal, which was cost-effective. It wasn't just about putting the satellite up there. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's all going to move. Pace of change is only getting bigger, greater as we go by. So I don't think it'll be any different in the satellite industry. So hang on to your hats, basically, is what you're saying. It's it's going to be a heck of a ride. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Don, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. We are out of time, but uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. 
Same here, Tom. Thank you. Don Osborne is the CEO of Earth Daily Analytics. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel and be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at XterraJSC.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XterraJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.